0: Good morning. morning. It is good to be with you guys this morning. I got when I came last night. I got several welcome homes, and it felt uh, amazing being with the service last evening. Um, I'm Pastor D. McIntosh. I'm the lead pastor and church planter of Lighthouse Minneapolis. Many of you, uh, I remember. I recognize some of your faces, and it is good to be with you all. Um, Again, I feel like Lighthouse is is an extension of CPC because we have uh, members of our launch team are from this community. We have received emails, phone calls, letters in the mail. People still send letters in the mail. Um, From uh, members of this community encouraging us on the journey as we attempt to build a new faith community, which is incredibly difficult. The one thing... um, that I didn't realize when I was here is when you're an associate pastor, nothing is ever your fault. It's always John's fault, right? (laughs) So if I mess up, if I make a mistake, no one ever said anything to me about it, they would go to John, right? Uh, When you become a lead pastor, everything becomes your fault. So whatever mistake happens, whether it's really your fault or not, You're the one that receives the email. So, John, if you—I don't know if this can—I don't even know if this is possible, but if you ever want to be, like, a bishop or, like, a presiding, like, lead pastor over Lighthouse, we would welcome you. Uh, I will demote myself to be the associate pastor slash church planter, and you can receive all of those emails. That would be—that would be fantastic. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. Uh, so this morning, um, I was asked to come and to talk about time. How do we spend our time? What ways can we spend our time differently in 2017 than maybe we did in 2016? What I want to do is I want to make a case for the Sabbath and why I believe that we should begin to incorporate Sabbath rest into our lives uh, if, we have, if we don't already. Uh, What I want to do is I want to look at the Apostle Paul's life, though, as a reason uh, for why I think we need to partake in the Sabbath. You guys with me? Okay, you guys remember me, right? (laughs) Okay. Just checking, because you know I like the feedback. Okay. Okay. So at Lighthouse, we have this time, this community time, where we ask a question to set up the sermon. And so last Sunday, we asked the question, if you were stranded on a tropical island and you had to pick one person from the Bible, who would you choose? Now, I'm not going to actually make you guys discuss with your partner, but I want you to think about this. If you were stranded on a tropical island, tropical because we're still in winter time, even though it doesn't seem like it. Uh, who would you choose? One person from the Bible. How many of you would choose Jesus? Show of hands you're all disqualified. (laughs) That's like the easiest answer, right? We asked this question at Lighthouse and someone said Lazarus. Now, I'm still trying to figure out why you would choose Lazarus uh, to hang out with, but maybe um, someone else said that they would choose Enoch because Enoch um, is one of the two people in the Bible that doesn't die. Uh, That would be my husband, Cecil. He said he wanted to hang out with Enoch to figure out how did you do this thing where you were so good that God said, you know what, just come hang out with me. Um, who else did people pick? Some people picked Peter. Uh, other people p- picked Elijah. Somebody picked James. That person was from this community. Just going to throw that out there. Um, and so then I answered the question and said, okay, I'm going to go through this. So this is, what ha- this is kind of how my mind went. Um, I started off by picking who I would not choose. Uh, so I decided I can't go with the prophet Jeremiah because Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. There's nothing worse than being stranded on an island with someone that cries. Okay? <laughs> uh, I decided not to go with Peter. And the reason I decided not to go with Peter is because I figured Peter's a little bit too passionate. I might make him angry and he'll chop off my ear. That's just not helpful either. And then I thought, okay, well, let's go with James, but James, that whole faith without works is dead thing. He might work me half to death, and we're on a tropical island trying to get a little bit of a vacation. Can't choose him either. And then I thought, well, Adam and Eve would be cool because they're like the first people. And then I thought, no, they're going to get me in trouble because they're going (laughs) to eat all of the wrong fruit on the island. So then I thought my first choice would be Moses. There's something about a guy who can part the Red Sea that just seems very helpful when you're stranded on an island. I figured all I have to get him to do is put that staff on that water and I can just walk on home, right? <laughs> uh, but then I thought, no, Moses actually had anger issues, so that probably wouldn't help either. So then I thought, let me choose the person that's most like my husband, right? i married to my husband because he brings me a great amount of balance. This is case in point, true, this is who Cecil is. I told Cecil when we were pregnant with our first son, I said, oh my gosh, Cecil, we're pregnant, we're having a baby. And Cecil's reaction was, I'm very excited. (laughs) That was it, that's all I got. So then I figured, if I'm going to get stranded on an island, at least let me be on an island with someone that's calm in every situation. My husband is calm in every situation. So then I decided I would go with the Apostle Paul, because the Apostle Paul... If I see anything in the New Testament, was calm in every situation, right? The Apostle Paul was the guy that said, in all things, I am content. This is what he says in Philippians. In all things, I have learned to be content. Essentially, what Paul is saying is that when I was poor, I was content. When I was rich, I was content. When I was in prison, I was content. And when I was free, I was content. That's contentment. You're content in prison? I, come on, right? The Apostle Paul was the guy that was persecuted. He was stoned at Lystra, the Bible tells us in the book of Acts, stoned and left for dead. He was shipwrecked, persecuted, imprisoned. And this is the same guy that, while he was in prison, he wrote a letter to Timothy, telling Timothy, I thank God for you daily. Really? Paul, you're in prison. Do we have any idea what prison was like back then? I I can't believe it was very sanitary. And yet Paul is in every situation that we see over and over and over again. Paul is praying for the people of God. He's encouraged by their faith, and he's calm in all of these situations. So for me, Paul would be the first choice on being stranded in a desert island. Paul in 2 Corinthians says that though we are persecuted, we are not forsaken, struck down, not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. And then he continues and says, so we do not lose heart because though our outer man is perishing, our inner man is flourishing. I don't know about you, but there's something about, I, I don't know, I just would think, but I would complain at some point. And yet every letter that we see that Paul writes he is calm, he is cool, and he is thanking God and centering his life on who God is. Paul can take an immense amount of pressure. But then something happens in Paul's life in 2 Corinthians. He breaks. He has a moment where, of all the stress, all the anxiety, all of the worry, all of the pressure that Paul can take, that we see him taking in the book of Acts. There comes a point in 2 Corinthians where he has finally had enough. Let me give you the background before I give you the scripture. Paul is supposed to visit the church of Corinth. And he tells them, my intention is, on my way to Macedonia, I was going to stop and visit with you. And then on my way back home from Macedonia, I was going to stop and visit you again. But he says, I cannot come and visit you because if I would come and visit you, I would harm you. Why was Paul saying this? Well, this brings us to our scripture this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Paul says, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction that we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly, unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. The King James Version says, I was pressed beyond measure. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. And then he continues on to verse 11, he says, as you also join in helping us by your prayers so that many will give thanks on our behalf for blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Apostle Paul says, I was pressed beyond measure. I despaired unto life. And he's still thanking people for praying for him. There's nothing more important to the Apostle Paul than keeping his word. He says this uh, in 2 Corinthians 15 through 23. He explains to the people that there is nothing more important to me than me keeping my word, but I am devastated that I can't come and visit you, essentially, paraphrase, because I broke. What I want to talk about this morning is the fact that I believe every individual in this room has a PSI rating. Pounds per square inch you have a unit of measure of pressure and stress that you can handle, right? I'm going to give an example here. I'm going to pull a rich pheno in this moment, okay? Let's hope this doesn't explode. Apostle Paul's life, all of our lives, are like this bottle of Coke. And each of us has an amount of stress that we can handle. You guys following me? Okay. Life does this to us constantly. Relationships. Money. Conversations of what's happening in our nation constantly just continues to build and build. And then there are those moments of surprises where someone then throws a Mentos. (laughs) Not gonna do it. A Mentos (laughs) into the Coke. What happens when you throw that Mentos in? It explodes. This is what happens to Paul. Paul's shipwrecked. He's in prison. He's persecuted. He has to live through being separated from his beloved Barnabas because Barnabas chooses John Mark over Paul. Shaking, shaking, shaking. And then Asia comes, and there goes that Mentos, and he breaks. We all have a PSI rating, just like the tires in our car have a PSI rating, footballs have a PSI rating, basketballs have a PSI rating. And I asked some doctors now, okay, I'm not a medical professional at all. Uh, But your blood vessels, your arteries, have an amount of pressure they can take. Right? Doctors in the room, nod if you're agreeing with me here. I think that this is correct. I think that this is accurate. Your your arteries have an amount of pressure they can take. What happens if you have too much pressure in your arteries? You have what? High blood pressure. This is our lives. (laughs) This reminds me of those drug commercials growing up, you know, and they're like, this is your life on drugs. Like, okay, sorry. (laughs) I had to, I just, I had to, okay? Now, the reality is we have no idea what happens to Paul in Asia. The Bible doesn't tell us, but we do know that he breaks. We see this happen over and over and over again in the Bible. In the book of Numbers, we have have Moses crying out to God, saying, I would rather be dead than have to continue to carry the burden of these people. Numbers tells us 600,000 men on foot. And Moses, that Moses is here, that Moses is leading. He says, I would have rather been dead. We see this with Jesus, do we not? Our Savior, we see him have a breaking moment. Do you realize that when we do the words of institution, we say on the night of his betrayal, Jesus essentially throws a party, and he sits around a room, and he gives bread, and he gives wine with people around the table. He knows one will betray him, and by the end, of what happens on the cross, most of them will not be there. And yet he says he sits with them around the table. The pressure is adding up. It's adding up. But it's not until we get to the Garden of Gethsemane that we actually see Jesus break and he begins to cry tears of blood and he says, if you would take this from me. Now he's faithful, he continues, but that pressure adds up. We see this with the prophet Elijah. This man prays and it stops raining. Now, I just wish I could have the ability to pray and it stops snowing. That would be... (laughs) I'd be the most popular person in the world. Okay, right? He prays, it stops praying, he prays again, and and it rains. God uses him to slew false prophets. And then Queen Jezebel sends word that she wants him dead, and what happens? He breaks. He takes off. The pressure is too much. We each have a PSI rating. We have an amount of pressure that we can take. And life... Just because of the way that life is, it adds the pressure. Can you show me, show, pull up this slide? I did my own kind of uh, assessment of the things that add pressure to our lives, and my assessment was that responsibilities add pressure, begins to shake that bottle, okay? The outside world, relationships, self-inflicted pressures. Uh, Self-inflicted pressures would be like procrastination. Procrastination, I don't think, is a sin, but it definitely adds a weight to your life. Money. Just talking about money stresses me out. Poor diet and health adds pressure to our lives. And most of us have more pressure in our lives than is healthy for us, right? You guys took a survey yourself. 825 people responded to this survey, and this is what you said were the biggest stressors in your life. 245 people responded relationships. Yeah, I get that. Anybody who's been married a month knows. (laughs) Marriage itself is pressure, okay? Uh, Kids. Kids are that, like, wonderful thing that you have this wonderful idea in your head that Before you have kids, you think, oh, my gosh, I'm going to do all of these wonderful things with my kids. We're going to build tents and forts and all of these things. And then you have the baby, you think, oh, my gosh, what I was imagining is like 10 years down the road. Work, 184 people say that work. 121 people say money. 76 people say time, not having enough time. 49 people responded health, 34 people responded responsibilities and expectations, 32 people responded worry and fear, 21 the future, 15 the political state of our country, and four people said they're not stressed at all. I have made it my goal to find out who these four people are. (laughs) What are you doing in your life that you have no stress at all? Okay. Last service I asked who it was, no one came forth, so I'm, I'm... I'm counting on you, 9.30 service. (laughs) At least give me one person that this applies to. This is the reality of our lives. We keep building the stress in our lives because we have too many responsibilities. We have too many activities. We're doing too much all of the time. So that when a surprise comes our way, right? Unexpected death of a family member. Unexpected financial issues unexpected uh, circumstances at work. That surprise is like that Mentos dropping in the bottle and then it explodes and it breaks. This morning, I want to advocate for the Sabbath because the Sabbath rest is meant to serve as self-care for the people of God. It is a way to provide healing and wholeness in your life. we're going to talk about time and how we will utilize our time differently in 2017, I would say that it is time to begin taking the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the word is defined as rest to cease. It's what Psalms 46 says, be still and know that I am God. It is also the fourth commandment in the Bible. Exodus 28:11 11 says, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male and female slave, your livestock. I'm still trying to figure out how livestock takes Sabbaths. And the alien residents in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day, therefore... The Lord blessed the Sabbath, the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Jesus in Mark 2 says that we were not created for the Sabbath, but the cr- Sabbath was created for us. Have you ever read the New Testament and thought how uh, ironic it is that Jesus gets in trouble because he's healing people on the Sabbath? It's not coincidental, it's because the Sabbath is actually meant for healing. The Sabbath is meant to release the pressure on our lives, yes? Let me give you an example of what the Sabbath is meant to do. Let's see if this works. Everyone's like, stand back. Okay, let's see if this works. I don't know if I can get this to go. This is what the Sabbath is meant to do. So you have all this pressure in your life building up. Let's see if this works. The Sabbath is meant to release. You hear that sound? That's what the Sabbath is meant to do in your life release the pressure, release the pressure. Release the pressure on its building. Release the pressure in your life. So that eventually not yet. Eventually, (laughs) you can take the top off. And now you can actually go about your day without having too much stress and anxiety because you actually observe the Sabbath. See that? See how all that pressure just went? All the way back down. It's a pressure release valve. You guys took another survey in which you discussed what it is. You answered the question, if you have a whole free day to yourself, how would you spend it? Now, let me tell you about a phenomenon that exists in American culture. Okay, um, We have a tendency to answer questions based upon who we want to become, not based upon reality. Okay, perfect example of this is the newlywed game. Okay. You guys follow me here? So the newlywed game is where couples, newlywed, newly married couples, compete to see which spouse understands their spouse better than the rest of the group. Okay. Uh, I never forget watching this episode. This was actually probably like a month ago. Um, and there's three couples competing. And the, question was, the hus- question was asked to the husbands, how adventurous is your wife? All of the husbands, all three answered between five and one, one being the lowest, ten being the most adventurous. When the same question was asked to the wives, every single wife aunt rated herself 8 to 10. The wives were rating it based upon how adventurous they want to be. The husbands were rating it based on how adventurous they actually are. Okay? Let's talk about what you guys said you would do if you had a whole free day. Okay? Just gonna throw that out there. Okay, so this is what the stats say out of 824 people that responded, 317 of you said you would spend the whole day reading. 275 said that you would spend the day spending time with friends and family. 230 said that you would exercise of some kind. 187 said that you would spend errand time doing errands, cleaning and chores. 177 said that you would sleep. 115 said that you would eat. <laughs> 77 people said that you would watch TV. Reality versus who you want to be. Right? This is the whole purpose of Netflix. It's to binge on TV. And only two people said that you would go on Facebook. Just going to throw that out there. (laughs) The reality is, is that it may not actually be realistic for you to take an entire day for the Sabbath, right? That's not realistic for a lot of us. For some of you, it is. But for others, it may not be. So what I want to advocate for is the idea of Sabbath moments. How can you incorporate Sabbath moments into your life in 2017 and then begin to build, steadily build to where you can actually take an entire day and dedicate it to God as a Sabbath? So let me give you examples of some Sabbath moments. I find it odd. Uh, there was a stat, let me just put it this way. There was a statistic that just came out that said that an average American uh, would actually complete reading 200 books in the time they spend on social media. 200 books in a year, beginning it and the time that's spent on social media, okay? This is for the young people in the room. Just gonna throw that stat out there. You know how teenagers say, I never have enough time to do the work. Uh, 200 books in a year, I mean, you have enough time. Most of us, I'm a millennial, so I'll talk to the millennials in the room, uh, are on our phones before we even brush our teeth in the morning. I can't think of anything more important to do first thing in the morning than brush my teeth. But how many of us are checking our phones? checking to see what the work day would be like, checking to see what time you have to actually get out of the house to get a meeting. What would it look like if you converted that time that you spend on your phone first thing in the morning, what would it look like if you actually spent that time as a Sabbath moment? Centering yourself on God. Observing who God is. Remembering what he has done in your life. And then beginning your day. What would it look like if you spent the Sabbath in your car? Before you actually step out of your car to enter into work, what would it look like if you took a Sabbath moment five minutes in your car? It's simple. Because all of us can't take a full day, what would it mean if you began to incorporate Sabbath moments throughout your day at lunchtime? What would it mean if 30 minutes before you went to bed, you actually centered yourself on God's Word, as opposed to watching TV, catching that last bit of news? Before you read the newspaper, what would it mean to actually spend the time with God? I have this really cool app on my phone. It's called the Centering Prayer app. And essentially what it does is you read a scripture. You center yourself for a couple of minutes in silence. You close out in scripture, and then that's it. Sabbath moment. Rest. If you can pull up my last slide, I want to cover this. Walter Brueggemann, who is probably one of my favorite Old Testament guys, says that the Sabbath serves as testimony and as resistance. It is testimony to our particular identity as followers of Christ. That if we are people who take the Sabbath, we exemplify to the world that there is another way. The Sabbath is a spiritual discipline, Walter Brueggemann contends in his book, The Sabbath as Resistance. He says it's just as important as reading your Bible and as praying. But he also says that the Sabbath provides healing because it serves as resistance against the pressures of life. It serves as resistance against the need to multitask or juggle. This is for the woman in the room. How many of us cook and clean, watch the kids all at the same time while watching TV, being on your phone, your iPad, and your computer? I do every day, right? The Sabbath is resistance against the need to multitask because the Sabbath means that you must be fully present in the moment that you are in, that there's nothing else but you and God. The Sabbath is also resistance against exclusivism because God extends the Sabbath beyond just the people of Israel. He extended the Sabbath to the immigrant. You see this again in Isaiah 56 where he extends the Sabbath to all of the people that are in the region. What it would mean if your families took sabbaths together. The McIntosh family does this. We take Sabbath on Saturday morning with our kids. We have been doing our best uh, to prevent our kids from getting into the sports. This will be changing because our oldest son is now in traveling basketball. But we have been intentional about holding that Sabbath morning so that our entire family can take the Sabbath. This extended to my mother-in-law, who's Seventh-day Adventist, and she takes the Sabbath. She actually became Seventh-day Adventist as a result of the practice of us taking the Sabbath because of how important the Sabbath rest became in her life. We have extended this Sabbath now to our friends. We invite our friends over and say, this morning we're going to do a Sabbath rest together. Will you participate in it with us? What would it mean to expand this just beyond, beyond yourself as an individual but to your entire families and beyond that? The Sabbath rest is also resistance against anxiety because, again, you're called to be still and know that he is God. And lastly. Walter Brueggemann says that the Sabbath is resistance against spiritual immaturity because in your Sabbath rest, you are asking God to give you wisdom and discernment and to lead your life. Amen? So I am contending that in 2017, you begin to take Sabbath moments. And my hope and prayer is that you be able to begin over time to extend this where you are actually observing an entire day of spending that day Not necessarily uh, running errands, not necessarily watching TV, and for the two people that spend their time on Facebook, not being on Facebook, but actually spending that time with God. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be here and to be with this community. Lord, I pray that in 2017 we would begin uh, to take Sabbath moments, take moments of rest. We have an amount of pressure and stress that we can tolerate, Lord, and for many of us, it continues to build in our life between work and responsibilities, Lord God. Those responsibilities bear on our shoulders and it becomes too heavy. Father God, be with us as we are in desperate need of you in these desperate times. Be, Lord God, for us, all the things that we need. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.